0: Hey hey, welcome to episode 154 of the Dealer Playbook podcast. I'm your host Michael Cirillo. Hey. Thanks for being here. Really excited about this episode and hope that you get a ton of value out of it. Um we're sitting down with the VP and General Manager of Paragon Honda, Mr. Brian Benstock. Uh man, you, you just pay attention, okay? Like that that's all I can say. Listen carefully. To what Brian has to say in this episode, he has a really, really logical and insightful outlook on where things are headed in our industry. And, you know, rather than doing what most do, which is roll over and die, consider ways that you can adapt and dominate as you listen to the things that he's saying. Now, if you haven't done it yet, you know what I'm going to say, The the DPB gang knows what I'm about to say. If you haven't yet subscribed, go ahead and click the subscribe button so that you can get notified every time I post a new episode. It's as easy as that. And of course, I would love if you join me over on the Facebook page. This is episode 154 of the Dealer Playbook Podcast. Here we go. have been looking forward to this for quite some time now. I've been a big fan. In fact, I got to tell you, uh, just a couple of months ago, I was speaking at a conference in Australia, kind of their equivalent of the NADA. It was their Double ADA conference. And I spoke all about disruption. That was kind of the theme of the conference. And of course, one of the buzzwords in our industry right now. and And so I was speaking about disruption and kind of more the evolution side of disruption, what it means to be evolutionary instead of you know, being acted upon or, or these sorts of things, maintaining control, taking action, being the actor instead of being acted upon. And of course, during the Q and a, uh, the attendees of my session said, well, who can you give us as an example of somebody who's doing this? And without, without much pause, the, the first name that came out of my mouth was yours. Mr. Brian Benstock of Paragon Honda. And I said, you guys got to go look at what he's doing. So I'm really looking forward to this. I really appreciate you taking the time to join me on the dealer playbook.
1: Well, that's terrific. Uh, thank you, and I'm really happy to be here.
0: This is uh, you, you know, I mean, I I I think, you know, with such an impressive resume, my my mind goes to okay, number one certified Honda and Acura dealer in the world, over at Paragon Honda, of course. In, in my mind, what I what I picture when I think of Paragon Honda is Hustle, bustle, papers flying, like just deals happening and crazy, just 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 a crazy emotional, like positive. Well, it, know, sounds like energetic. Like right. it sounds
1: like it sounds like you got that exactly right. Yeah. It's um it's really an interesting <laughs> place. You know, we, we, we deliver uh, all of our cars are retail and we're delivering, I guess, about uh ten thousand plus Hondas a year, new and used. And on the accurate side, it looks like it's about thirty five hundred. Uh, new and used. So on a very small footprint, you've got about 14,000 cars a year being delivered. And uh, that gives us a pretty good amount of traffic and uh, hustle and bustle, as you said.
0: What's it like operating a store with that much uh, activity? You know, it's um,
1: you don't know what you don't know. And some of our guys that have uh, came to our dealership and then uh, thought they were greener pastures uh, tell me that, oh my gosh, you know, you, you take you can take it for granted the traffic that we're blessed to have here uh, and i think we we've done a couple of things right to generate that traffic and i think in addition to that um the markets that we're blessed to serve uh are fantastic and I, you know I, i'd be hard pressed to find a better market than this uh new york metropolitan market
0: sure and which is i think contrary to what some people might believe especially not living in that market where they think oh it's probably heavy on rideshare it's heavy on Oh, you know, public transit and all oh, those sorts is. of things, maybe not conducive to selling cars, but you're proving that no, that's not the case.
1: Well, you know, now you, you just touched on, you know, a really key thing. People are not consuming less transportation. They're just consuming it differently. And if you are able to adjust or to pivot and to provide that solution for your customers, and you know, I think then you're, you're, you're relevant in the future. You, you spoke about rideshare. Well, those rideshare vehicles got to get sold by somebody. And why not us? And why not make sure that we're the relevant ones providing that, those services for, for our clients? And, and Men, so uh, they, they ignore, and the OEMs ignore this tremendous opportunity.
0: Why do, you think, why do you think they ignore it? Are they fearful of it? I mean, what's the, what's the reasoning you think?
1: Well, you know, the only person that likes change is a wet baby, and they don't, you know, nobody likes change. And so it represents something that we, as dealers, didn't focus on for a long time, uh, these rideshare customers. You know, when you look at a rideshare customer, um, uh, they're they're the best customers you can have. They drive their cars more often. They service their cars more often. They purchase their cars more often. So why don't we have a loyalty program from the OEM to attract Uber and Lyft and some of the other uh, companies to to our uh, dealerships? Why don't we have a retention program to lock in the service there? And why don't we treat these customers the way they should be treated, like gold? I mean, their cars are being used considerably more than the regular consumer uses their
0: cars. You've been in the, the business now, I, I think it said on your website, 1982. Is that right? So about 36, 37
1: years, 36, 37? Yeah, it's. Uh, time. It's, 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 I still feel really young, but when I hear it, 1982, and I realize
0: it's 36 <laughs> years ago, it seems
1: like only yesterday.
0: I, I, I don't know if I should add the footnote <laughs> of that's when I was born. Uh, okay. I, I won't hold that against you.
1: Uh, your your, your youth uh, I won't hold against you in fact you know Ronald Reagan when he was being was debating Mondale Mondale said you know made a crack about his age and Reagan said listen I wasn't going to bring up uh, your your inexperience if you didn't bring up my age so you know uh, (laughs) it's funny it it goes by quickly
0: what what I mean so it, bring me back to to I guess 1980s and 1990s, Brian Benstock. I mean, were, were you always kind of driven as a forward thinker, or I mean, what what kind of brought you to the point where you're at today? Because I mean, you're doing so many incredible things, which we'll touch on uh, in a minute. But I'm curious the kind of the evolutionary process of of you, your thought process. I mean, your your paradigm about just Uber and and Lyft and ride sharing and how they're the best customers is so much more forward thinking than I think anybody else I've spoken to in you know that's working working in the store how, how did that all happen i mean did it happen piece by piece or were you always kind of forward thinking like that
1: yeah, I, i'd like to believe i was always for, forward thinking There were you know it's, even as a, a salesperson uh you know we had a, a lot that was jammed with cars and I just said well gee this doesn't make any sense what if we parked them this way and you know that that's a 23 year old kid's perspective on, you know, every time I sold a car, you know, you always sold the car that was in the back row and you had to move six cars to get the cars out. And I said, well, what if, if we just configured them this way? We could save a couple of hours uh, a day. And, you know, it, it's it's the first thing that I can remember doing where the uh, management and the ownership looked and said, yeah, that's a really good idea. And so I've been blessed to work with people that are open to new and different ideas, you know, and, 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 and don't... uh stick by, well, that's not how we do it. And so we, we've had a couple of really good examples of taking leadership uh, positions and turning uh, difficult situations into positive ones. You know, uh, A little known fact, in um, the, the late 90s, I petitioned the New York City Taxi and Limousine Commission to have the Honda Odyssey approved as a taxi in New York City. And <clears throat> the Taxi and Limousine Commission uh, at the time were looking for new vehicles, and I took a four cylinder Odyssey that weren't selling particularly well at the time, and had it what's known as hacked up or painted yellow, had a partition put in, and then um, uh, presented it to New York City Taxi and Limousine Commission. In addition, I, I, I drove the car at night, and I say this now, it's uh, probably totally illegal, but I, I had a driver drive the car around at night, and I sat in the back seat with a video camera and offered free rides to anybody. In this would-be taxi uh, if they would just give us uh, on film their experience and the comments were great because the ceiling was tall and it had rear air conditioning and it had legroom and I presented that to taxi and limousine Commission nobody bothered to ask uh, us if we were able to do that or allowed to do that and again we didn't charge anybody and everybody got right. to their destination but uh, it was really kind of a, a special thing for us and based on that uh, a, a company that was doing defense contracting put one of the very first GPSs in this taxi, Um, and it's primitive by today's standards, but boy, it was really special uh, uh, back then. So I would say we always look at, uh, and we're always looking for ways to do things a little bit differently than uh, the competition.
0: Okay, which which is so fascinating. Which also brings me to kind of a follow up question. I mean, especially this day and age with digital, with you know this idea that everything's moving so quickly. How do you combat um, the um, what do I want to say, like the lack of patience that a lot of people have, because really you're, you're talking about all these ways that you've optimized your business, or in other words, you've improved it or you've tested something. How do you combat the, maybe the, the anxiousness or the excitement of wanting to have or see results right away by, by implementing a lot of these things?
1: You know, take a look at, you know, today, Amazon is such a wildly successful company and everyone holds them uh, as the standard. But it took them a long, long time before they became the profitable giant that they are today. And I think this is where a lot of dealers tap out. This is where, you know, if they don't get an immediate return on investment, they pull the plug. And I, and I think so long as dealers uh, think like that, we're in danger. You look at the disruptors like a Carvana. Carvana, uh, you know, they, in theory, haven't made a profit yet. But, but, you know, so, so many dealers who would, who would go into a business where they're not going to be profitable for years? Well, the, the, the reality is a lot of these disruptors, uh, are going into the business and, and it's not that they're not interested in profit, but they know that this takes a long time to change, uh, the way that we serve customers to break down the existing walls. But, you know, look at Uber. I mean, seven years ago, you never heard of an Uber and all right. of a sudden, you know, you, you can't go to a city. We're not seeing uh, the, the impact that that's had not only on taxis, but on subway systems, on bus systems, uh, and, and on automobile dealers. Uh, you know, we, we counted on it uh, disrupting taxis, but we didn't count on it disrupting our business. And in fact, in New York City, if you drive less than 11,000 miles a year, it's less expensive to use Uber than it is to own or lease a car. Now, it doesn't take people long to figure out that math. And for those of us that live in the city or outside of New York City, and I'm in New York City all the time, you've got a monthly payment, you've got an insurance payment, you've got a garage payment, and you've got this other fourth variable there in New York City, a ticket payment every month. You're <laughs> going to get ticketed every month in New York City. And, you know, maybe more than once. So if you're not going to get ticketed, you're going to be parking in the garage and your garage expense is going to be huge. It's just easier to order transportation just for what you need from point a to point b in many many cases so we decided why fight them, join them and now we're really big suppliers of transportation for uber drivers and service for uber drivers
0: which is you know to me that's that's the definition of of innovation right there it's you know i think we've been misled to believe that innovation is that i come up with the new idea and i implement it and i find an audience and what you just said is so much more innovative to me, which is, hey, join them. You know, there, there's already something going on there. Join them. Let's, let's talk about uh, Jeff Bezos.
1: You know, he's seen as this massive innovator. I, I, I'm sure in terms of processing and packaging and shipping, he's had some innovations. But he didn't invent the internet. He didn't invent home delivery. He didn't invent Federal Express. He didn't invent UPS. He just leveraged the stuffing out of those existing technologies. So I, I think dealers can leverage the stuff out of existing technologies and out of existing customer experiences to create our own unique and thereby disruptive uh, customer experience.
0: Now, let, let's talk about that for a minute, because <clears throat> I mean, we, I, I think, we have all—you'd have to be living under a rock if we—if you hadn't seen the Google presentation that features you and, and some of the cool investments that you've made, again leveraging existing technology, leveraging Google's platform. Bring me through the process of twenty-four hour a day, seven day a week service. Like, how did that all come about?
1: Well, uh, boy, a—it's a, uh, a long evolution. But you know, I was asked to speak uh, at a Google conference uh, a couple of years ago, and I. Um, Ask Google and the, the uh, people in the audience that were there, I asked them, uh, what's the number one search engine? And they all proudly you know, said, Google, back. And I said, let me ask you, what's the number two search engine? And they replied uh, somewhat correctly, YouTube. And I said, okay, now let's just change the question just a little bit. What's the number one search engine for retail? And they sort of looked, and I, and I said, well, the number one search engine for retail seems to be Amazon, right? And, uh, in fact, they're, they're two to one over google and i uh, asked the audience why do you think that is and I, I came to the conclusion and i think google supported this i, I come to the conclusion that uh, google through search brings customers uh to the product right you search for something google will tell you where to get it and you go get it uh but but amazon conversely uh, brings the product to the customer and that mm-hmm. started me on my my journey of well, well how can that apply to automobile Transactions. And when you look at the 10 year history of Amazon, their sales are up 1900%. And most of the major retailers are experiencing double and triple digit uh, downturns in their business. So, you know, it's, I think there's a real correlation there. And I said, you know, how how can we be more accessible to our customers? And and I thought, well, what if we brought uh, products and services to our customers instead of requiring that they come to the dealership? And it's a a counterintuitive initiative on our part. You know, we are asked by the manufacturers to invest tens of millions of dollars in beautiful facilities uh, for our customers to enhance the customer experience. And I, I think that's a, a good thing. However, that very expense could be something that uh, threatens our existence as we're burdened with that overhead. And I thought, what if instead of requiring the customers to come to us, what if we went to the customers? And would that not open up a, a large market for us a bigger market than we have now to serve? In, and could that offset the cost of delivering the product to the customers? And we uh, started on our journey. And in fact, Google was um, very interested in um, uh, taking a couple of steps with us uh, to see just how uh, they could assist us in our journey.
0: It's um, it, it kind of brings me back to this concept of, of you, you know, you've mentioned the Ubers, the Carvanas, uh, and of course, you. What I'm hearing here is, hey, guys, like let's leverage some, let's leverage all of the technology, resources, and tools that already exist to do what? Focus on the customer experience. Yeah, that's exactly it. And,
1: and you know, in, in fact, when we pick up and deliver a customer's car, they get a uh, text, and it shows them very much Uber-esque where our driver is on the way. They get a map, they get a picture of the driver, uh, and they get an estimate uh, estimated time of delivery and they can track the customer coming there. So <clears throat> we've all had that experience with a delivery company where they tell you they're going to be there between 9 and 1, and, of course, they show up at either 8 or 2, and you're waiting like a, a schmendrick uh, for them to get there. <laughs> um, but but we're able to give a customer time within a 10-minute window and 90-plus uh, percent of the time be within that window, which uh, makes better use of the customer's time and our time because it costs me money if one of our drivers is there and the consumer's not there. Uh, for picking up right. or delivery of a, of a car. And, and so that, that, that's one example of leveraging that technology. And, and certainly the ability to uh, use video and, and, and uh, photography to show the customer, hey, here's what your brakes look like. Here's what new brakes look like. Would you like to buy them? And the customer can just click on, uh, yes, I'd like to buy the brakes. And when they do that, they also get, taking a page out of Jeff Bezos's book, people who bought this also buy that. So it really, you know, and and, and again... These things don't happen in a vacuum, right? People who need front brakes at a certain cadence are going to know and that they need rear brakes. We're just going to let them know. Purchasing the front brakes today means in about 12,000 miles, you're going to need rear brakes. And would you like us to alert you when you do? And most yeah. people just find that beneficial to them.
0: What I love about this is, you know, you, you, you think about... The climate of, of automotive today you you touched on briefly like hey dealerships that want the, that that kind of just throw in the towel if they're not getting immediate results that's really a, a huge problem for our industry, um, but then you look at this on the, on the flip side um, th- the concept that comes to my mind is full stack and I mean we usually think of full stack in terms of development you know like a full stack developer knows how server speed is going to impact front end you know user experience and yada yada yada. Um, But what I'm hearing here is kind of this concept of a full stack dealership, which is, you know, it, it's very clear that, you know, the impact of these these investments that you're making on the front end con- consumer experience have have legitimate ripple effects throughout all facets of your dealership. And it's not it's not run ad get leads work leads, sell cars, you're, you're, you know, what I, what I love about what you're saying here is you're like, well, yes, but also improve existing, strengthening existing customer relationships, improve service, improves customer, improve, you know, like there's there's kind of this. You're
1: talking about the the UX user experience and the user experience is what gives you loyalty. And, you know, we, we've got a lot of things happening right now. And and I, I think, uh, we need to prepare for where I'm. Calling the perfect storm, uh, and that that perfect storm uh, is really causing me to uh, dig in and uh, look at everything that we're doing in the dealership from a different perspective.
0: Is is this what you mean by the um, uh, friction frictionless well, experience? Well, is well, that No, not, not really. I'm,
1: I'm talking about a perfect storm of uh, what, what I'll consider irrational exuberance. We've had ten years of a rising stock market. We've had ten years of interest rates mm. have been below two and a half. We've had a percent as a prime. We've had 10 years of very low unemployment. Uh, you know, And it used to be that markets would go up for three and down for one and up for three and down for one. Right. And during that cycle, that, you know, they, they would build into the players in the cycle, the dealers, the salesmen, the sales managers, a certain toughness. Um, and, and what happens if you don't have that happening, when it's easy, you think it's hard. And I got to tell you, we've had 10 years of easy business. And because we haven't faced hard, we think that easy is hard and difficult. So, so let's take this. Mm. So there's one set of irrational exuberance. People think that this is normal and that that interest rates are at two, what is it? Two and a half percent now prime. They think that's normal. The actual normal prime has been somewhere between four and a half and five percent. So it's going to double before it even gets to normal. When I started selling cars in 1982, Prime was at 19%. So it was a different <laughs> world, right? A different world. It, so, so you've got this irrational exuberance, but then you've got the, these disruptive forces, right? The Amazons uh, getting into the automobile business. You've got the uh, Google car by Waymo potentially getting into uh, the automobile business. Not potentially, they are, but it's just how is a big question. You've got to direct the direct-to-consumer from Tesla uh, getting uh, more and more traction uh, as they uh, continue to disrupt uh, with, their, uh, with their leader Elon Musk at the helm. Uh, and and, and um, the bigger concern there, of course, is Mr. Musk's use of electricity and electrification to circumvent franchise laws in many states. And, you know, what does that do? Uh, and, and once he's opened that door, what other manufacturers are going to go in behind him? creating electric cars that uh, will be outside of the franchise system. So that's one one concern. And then you've got this other wheel of disruption that's going on, which is the changing consumer expectation, right? Customers want it on their terms. They want shared control of the process. You mentioned before Uber. What do customers like about Uber? Well, customers like the ability to pick the car that they're going to get picked up in. They can select the driver based on his or her uh ratings by consumers they can pick the fare uh by the size of the car uh you know and they can of course pick the time compare that to standing on a street corner with your hand up in the air hoping for the best results you know it's it, so the customer experience is, is changing in addition to that what's happened with amazon and how have they changed the customer experience you know it went from two day delivery to one day delivery to prime delivery to now in some markets are delivered the same day. Um, then consider Airbnb. Airbnb is selling more beds every night than any hotel chain in the world. They came out of nowhere. And the valuation right. is, is is spectacular. And, and more to share control of the process. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the company Peloton that makes those uh, bicycles, uh, spin, spinning bicycles at your home uh, with a television screen in front of you. It gives you right. the ability to take the class you want, when you want, with the instruction you want, with the music you want, for the length of time that you want, with the intensity you want. And by giving the customer what they want, Peloton has what they want, which is larger numbers of users of their product. So instead of having right. a spin class with 50 people or 60 people, where everyone's rushing to this one location to get in there in advance. I'm talking about when I've attended spin classes in New York City, the, the closest one, uh, SoulCycle, is in New York City. is four miles away. Four-mile trip from my office in Queens to Manhattan, that four-mile trip can take as little as 26 minutes or as much as 45 minutes. And if you get there 15 minutes late, you're out. Well, well, if you have a Peloton, you go whenever you're ready and take the class, and you pick the intensity. And sometimes when you when you miss a class, you have to take a class with an instructor you don't necessarily uh, uh, want to take a class with. And the last piece of disruption, so we've got irrational exuberance in the marketplace. We've got these disruptive forces coming in. We've got changing consumer expectation. The last thing we have is we have salespeople that don't know what they're doing. We've got managers that have never experienced the downturn. We've got dealers that have never been dealers before in higher interest rate climates. And, you know, again, I don't want to say that the salespeople don't know what they're doing, but they don't know how to grind. They don't know how to dig in. They don't know how to create a customer. They wait for the dealer to spend more money on advertising mailers or whatnot to bring customers in. And this is um, this is going to change as less people uh, are coming in the door and it's going to be
0: more about how do you uh, bring your services to customers. Interesting. So. <clears throat> What then can like is from your perspective, is customer experience enough, or do we need to be focusing a little bit more on the surrounding topics? So you, you, you know, I mean, sales, obviously the, that topic's always going to be interesting, but again, your take, we've got you know, the easiness of the way has made us weak, essentially, and I, and we see that in <clears throat> many facets of life. Um, you know, I, I sometimes I look at my kids and I'm like, holy smokes, these kids are going to have it. These kids have it so much better. And, and I had it so much better than my parents. And, and maybe I'm weaker than my parents and so on and so forth. We're just going to be blobs of matter well, well, at some point. Well, no, the, the
1: longer it's easy, the longer it's going to be hard. And I think you to have a market correction. And uh, a lot of these uh, snowflakes are going to get a, uh, an education in, in the reality. Uh, Hard work. How do you combat that? Uh, Well, you know, I'm. uh, We started uh, two years ago, uh, getting everybody up to speed. You know, I was saying two years ago, the time to repair the roof is when the sun is shining, and we started repairing the roof uh, a little over two years ago. The sun, in my opinion, is um, it's not shining. Uh, I think there are clouds in the sky. Uh, The storm hasn't hit, but it's going to. And uh, and I'm, I'm not a prophet of gloom and doom. I you know I think there'll be tremendous opportunities created by the difficulties. But um, uh, we started, uh, let's say, uh, training the salespeople to go cold calling customers. And I'll give you an easy example, right? They, we, we grabbed five customers out of a our database, and I asked a salesperson to make uh, the call. And the first calls that he made to the customer, the customer was only in the country a month or so, a year, and really wasn't interested in ch- trading out of the car. So we, we bypassed that. And the next customer profile we looked at, the customer was upside down owed more than the car is worth by about $10,000. And to go from the current car into a new car would have increased their payment by $400. I asked the salesperson, so what would you do with this customer? And he said, in all honesty, I probably wouldn't call him. And I said, well, you know, I thank you, John, for answering honestly. But let's. here's what we should do. Let's take a look at this. Here's the setup. Here's what I recommend you do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to get checks in a box. This customer's car was in for service. And I want you to, checks in a box, first question would be, Is this Mr. So-and-so? It is great. Hey, Mr. So-and-so, is your car on for service today? It is. Is your car happen to be, does it happen to be a 2010 pilot? It is. Let me tell you the reason for my call. I have a buyer for your car. And because I have a buyer for your car, I can pay you X amount of dollars to get out of this car, get you a brand new car, and a slight difference in monthly payment. The the really fascinating part to the story uh, is that the customer agreed to an appointment. The customer came in and purchased the car that evening, and the profit was very substantial. And I said to the salesperson, doesn't that feel great? And I said, but you would have never made that call. I want you to remember that. You would have only made the easy call. And if you only make the easy calls, then the easy calls will seem hard, and the hard calls will seem impossible. So we've, mm-hmm. we've got to make, we've got to do, we've got to put in the hard work. There's a book, and i and." and, and that's written by a guy named David Goggins. Have you heard of Goggins?
0: I have, yes. Oh my God. This
1: this this book can't hurt me. I mean, this is a this guy's hard. And I've got the entire staff, and I mean, you know, he uses some language, so you've got to put some caveats in there before we recommend the book to anybody. He uses some pretty hard language because it describes his life. It describes his life accurately and from the heart. But you know, I'm 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 trying to share with our people today, now's the time to get battle tested and battle ready. So, you know, when, when the battle comes, it's not hard. Manny Pacquiao, the famous uh, lightweight fighter, uh, said, training hard, fight easy. The training is hard, but so the fight is easy. And you know, mm. I think that that's really uh, analogous to what we're doing. Let's train really hard so that
0: the business uh, of business is easy. I I love this conversation so much. <laughs> you know, just so much makes sense. I mean, there's so many nuggets in here that I'm just like, holy smokes, my my pen's going like crazy. And I, and I think the reason for that is because this is the truth. We've seen we've seen down ticks, we've seen upticks. We're in a massive uptick, a really long uptick right now. And and it just makes so much sense. It, the easiness of the way makes will eventually make it seem difficult. And then of course, when it's really difficult, it's going to seem impossible. So so get get prepared, be prepared the, uh, enough of this nonsense of I just need more leads. I just need more leads. I need to spend more to get more. I need to do, 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 and focus more on, it, you know, fortifying against, like you said, the perfect storm, because it is coming. We all know it's coming. We can't just because we want to ignore it doesn't mean it's not going to happen.
1: Well, ignoring is exactly the worst strategy. But you know, think of a lion in in, in the jungle, right? The, the the lion can't afford to sit on Instagram and and post pictures and selfies. The, the, <laughs> the lion's got to hunt. He's got to hunt. He's got to, or he's not going to eat. Uh, the, the, right. the same with the elk. The elk has got to run. If the elk isn't running, the elk's going to get eaten. The elk can't stand there in the meadows taking selfies. What in God's name makes our sales staff think that they can sit there and post uh, when they post? What makes them think that they can? Forfeit any of the 168 hours in a week. I mean, these guys think they're working a lot of hours today, uh, working five day a week schedules. When, when we start in the business, we are working uh, six day schedules, 10, 12 hours a day. And, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily right. Let, let's just start with this. Let's get people that work their schedules to work the full schedule. Let's get people that are putting in an eight or nine hour a day to work eight or nine hours. And in doing so, you won't have to work more hours, but you can't coast for eight hours a day. You've got to put the work in. And this is yeah. really not a popular mantra. And I'm telling our people uh, today uh, to learn this before you have to learn it. You won't be able to work. You won't know how to work when you have to if you don't
0: prepare now. It. I mean, I look at it. You know, efficiency is is such a huge thing. We don't realize how much money we're actually throwing away in in inefficiencies. I mean, like think about it. You know, one. I remember a few years ago we were we were investing very heavily on you know optimization and maximizing our potential and and things of that nature. And one of the things that we observed is those uh, those coffee pot conversations that take ten minutes here, twenty minutes there, thirty minutes here. Like you said, the selfie, thinking about what you're going to post on Facebook, and all these sorts of things. Um, we were finding some people were wasting almost ten hours a week. Oh, you're
1: you're, you're low. You're way low.
0: Hey, let, let's
1: take a look. Let's take a look at all the efficiencies that have happened from 1982, yeah. when I was first selling cars, to today. Right? You've got an internet. Yeah. You've got computers on every desk. You've got cell phones, smartphone technology, yeah. emails, text messaging, video conferencing. Sending out videos, and uh, if, if you know what was the average number of cars sold per salesperson in 1982, mm, the, the answer is about ten cars per salesperson per month. What's the okay. average number of cars sold today by a salesperson? It's about isn't it
0: between years. six and eight. No, or it's about ten.
1: It's about it stayed same. Mm, no. So, so what we've done is given our time, our sales teams more time to goof off. Yeah, <laughs> but. But we've added business development centers. We've added uh, uh, email campaigns. We've added so many different things to help make their lives easier. The only thing we haven't added is to raise their expectation to do more. Now, I, I, my goal for our sales teams is to make the millionaires, uh, each one of them, and, and not for the million dollars, but for whom they'll become in order to become a millionaire. They're going to have to learn how to save. They're going to have to learn how to discipline their time. They're going to have to learn how to invest. Uh, they're going to have to learn how to set goals. They're going to have to learn how to become um, the kind of person that uh, a healthy millionaire uh, should be. Uh, they're going to have to, right. uh, to read. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, I've had the pleasure of seeing this happen to numerous people that work for us. And it's really rewarding for me. Again, not for the, the wealth that they earn, but for the, the person uh, or the people that they become.
0: I love it. One, one final question. Um, cause it's, it's very clear that you are motivated, you move with intention, you move with purpose. If you had to sum up your overarching purpose, what drives you to do the things that you do on a daily basis?
1: I love developing people. I mean, that is manager's job. It's not to sell more cars. I, I love developing people and seeing, uh, something in somebody that they didn't see in themselves. There's nothing more satisfactory, uh, than to take a young man or a young woman and to, to see something in them, to get them to believe in themselves, and to watch them go from uh, somebody who is underemployed or unemployed to uh, six-figure income, uh, fully uh, contributing to our a larger mission. And that, that, to me, is super rewarding.
0: I love that. And that requires in and of itself a lot of well, it kind of turns the whole thing that a lot of, we hear a lot of managers say, which is we're not here to babysit. It kind of turns that upside down, doesn't it?
1: Well, well the reality is, no, you're not there to babysit. You're, you're there to develop people, and that's a full-time job. And you know, I think um, somebody gives me their child, right, their son or their daughter, to work for us. That's a tremendous obligation that, that we have, that, that I have. To make that individual into the best version of them that they can be. And that's from, um, that's not just to sell cars, how to be a better business person, a better man or woman, how to understand people, how to be polite, how to be uh, persuasive, how to be productive. Uh, You know, I take that responsibility very, very seriously. And, um, it's one that I'm blessed to have. And, you know, it's, it's, it is the most important thing that I do.
0: Love it. One final question and then I'm going to let you go. Uh, how many more months until you can get back on the motorcycle?
1: <laughs> uh, you know, I don't, I have no idea what you're talking about. I was on the motorcycle yesterday. Uh, it was 36 degrees. <laughs> really? Absolutely, I, I ride 12 months out of the year, and I sort of make that my my minimum mission. That regardless of the weather, I'm going to get out there 12 months out of the year. Sometimes, you know, February. And there's some snow all over the place. It's a little bit difficult, but I, more often than not, I don't think I've missed a year in quite some time. And get out there. Wow. Uh, I, I just, I, I just love it.